Well, let me invite you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 51. To Psalm 51 as we look together at this famous psalm about a famous man and a famous sin. Psalm 51, hear the word of the Lord, inspired and inerrant. To the choir master, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, nor would I give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you, then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Let us pray. Our most gracious and merciful Heavenly Father, we pray that your word would be open now to us. These are inspired and well-known words. But our thinking and our feeling and our living is thick with fog. We ask, O Heavenly Father, that you would help us to see and hear and feel the truth which you declare to your people, even through this tragic situation of old, and get our eyes focused upon Jesus, we pray, that we might give him all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 
to the choir master. A psalm of David. Well, there's no more promising beginning to a psalm than that, is there? I mean, we have Asaph and and a psalm or two by Moses, but the majority of the psalms are by, and, and perhaps all of them even selected by David himself, to the choir master. A psalm of David. Who was David? God's anointed, the man after his own heart, the one chosen to play a role in redemptive history which was honored and unique. He himself pointed to his greater son, even Jesus Christ our Lord, to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan, the prophet, went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Here we encounter not David the Great, not David the Strong, but we come to David the Weak, and our hearts tremble as we hear these words fall forth from his lips. But we learn, we learn here that forgiveness of sins comes only in David's greater son. You see, David was a sinner. This is a psalm of repentance. It's a psalm of a confession of sin. It's a song in which David sings of the work that God the Holy Spirit has done in his heart in laying him low. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. He sings. You see, David had committed a grave sin. His sin was an offense against a man. It was an offense of adultery on the one hand and murder on the other. Because once the adultery was conceived in his mind and was acted out in his life, he then sought to cover it over with lies. And when that didn't work, murder was readily at hand for the king. Kings rarely pick up the knife. You see, if they pick up the knife, then they are left with that strange uh, monarchial feeling of out, out, damn spot. And it's much easier just to have a man put on the front line and with a whisper in the ear of an overly loyal commander have the others withdraw so that he is subdued and killed by your enemies. Oh, David was an adulterer and a murderer who covered all his sins over with lies until the day on which God gave the lie to his lie by sending a prophet to confront him. Psalm 51 stands as a testimony to this sin And this sin, which was not just a personal matter, but it was a sin in the history of redemption at a crucial point in the life of one who has a unique role to play. His sin was an offense to an entire nation. For indeed, at the end of his psalm, does he not confess and request for God to do good to Zion in your good pleasure, build up the walls of Jerusalem, 
so that then you will delight in right sacrifices and bless the nation. David was one who, in sinning, put not only his own relationship with God in danger, but he put the well-being and spiritual and physical safety of the entire nation also hanging in the balance. David, the great. David, the anointed. David, the one after God's own heart, was David the sinner who offended Almighty God. Hear him in verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Oh, he had sinned against Bathsheba because it was his duty as the head of the nation and as a prophet and a king of God to lead her in the way of righteousness not in the way of wickedness. Oh, he had done wrong to Bathsheba's husband because it was his responsibility to be a king and a commander and a leader and to bless him who had been a blessing to him and was willing to give his own life to protect the king. Oh, David had sinned against the whole nation as he defiled the people of God and made an occasion of derision, not just now, but also in decades to come as the wrath of God continued to pour out upon His people corporately and they suffered because of this sin and were laughed at by the surrounding nations. Oh, David's sin was against man, but the contrast between offending a man, a fallen and evil and broken and sinful man or woman like you and me, and offending a holy and an infinite God of whom the angels and cherubim and seraphim praise and glorify each moment. The contrast is so great that under inspiration, David can rightly say, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David was a sinner. But it is good for us to stop and take a breath and remember David's role, his role in redemptive history. And here we see some glimpse of why, why the great David, why David, the shining example of the work of God's grace and blessing, must fall. So that even in his falling, he points by contrast to His greater Son to come, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, David was a sinner. And now we know. But David's greater Son was not a sinner. Not a sinner at all. Oh, I'm not talking about Solomon. You know, he was a man so foolish. as to have a thousand wives. Think of the absolute arrogance, cruelty to those women, and to 999 men who should have been their husbands. What a spectacle before the nations and the people of God. 
But the contrast is not between David and Solomon. The contrast is not even between David and Rehoboam, you know, the foolish grandson who who surrounded himself with young counselors, just as silly as he was, and he listened and hung on their every word. The contrast is between David and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to come. Between David and the one who would come and save his people from their sins. Because you see, Christ knew no personal sin. He who was without sin became sin for us that we might be redeemed in Him. That is part of what is announced to us in Christmas. Why the virginal conception? Why the virgin birth? Why the occasion on which the angels and cherubim and seraphim would sing praise and glory to God in the highest? Why? Why did Gabriel have to come and announce that he would come in a way most mysterious, that his mother Mary would be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, that there would be a discontinuity in the human line, even in the midst of the continuity of his truly taking on flesh and dwelling among us. There would be no male factor. There would be no father in the normal way. God would act. It would be a miracle. There would be something different about this one. Because though Adam was his father, he was not in Adam and from Adam in a way which made him responsible and represented, represented by Adam in the garden and in the fall. He was untouched by the taint of original sin. He stood in purity and holiness and light. And so Jesus Christ, knowing no personal sin, never breaking from the will of His heavenly Father, all along the way, at each stage in His life, and in every decision, always actively obeying His Heavenly Father. Never. Never ever. Never ever once in thought or word or deed committed a sin and turned His face away from His Heavenly Father. He was holy where David had not been holy. Instead of being a sinner, Jesus became sin for us. He took on the role of sin. He took on the burden of sin. He took on the judicial and legal and forensic burden of our disobedience and guilt. Our sins were imputed to Him by His just and holy Heavenly Father. It did not have to be this way. He did not have to volunteer for such a role. His Father did not have to allow that kind of spiritual transaction. He could have simply turned His face away from us and left us to die in our sin and misery. But Jesus, Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He became sin for us. He became our sin and so felt the full weight and guilt of our transgressions on the cross of Calvary as He suffered and bled and died. 
The contrast between David and David's greater son only serves, does it not, to deepen. To deepen and fill out our understanding and appreciation of what Jesus has done for us in our salvation. As we read Psalm 51, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. We read about a man, a sinner, broken and convicted and in need of the salvation which only his greater son could bring. David's greater son was not a sinner. He was holy and righteous, the spotless lamb of Calvary. And just as Jesus was David's only hope, so too Jesus is your only hope and mine. God's grace and and His loving kindness run down the channels of Bethlehem and Golgotha. His grace and His loving kindness point to the fact that He has decided, that He has chosen, that He has determined in covenant love, gracious covenant love, to save a people from Himself. Have mercy on me, O God comes from the cry of a king and a prophet who knows that that God to whom he sings and prays is alone able to forgive his sins and restore his fellowship and salvation. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression with the blood of your Son. Rather than an outward ritual sacrifice, Here we are talking about something inwardly applied by the Holy Spirit. Yes, outwardly accomplished by the Son of God incarnate, but now inwardly applied by the third person of the Trinity. God, the Holy Spirit, coming. Not withdrawing from us, but coming and giving us a broken spirit. Giving us a contrite heart. Leading us in our need to the Savior who alone can deliver us from our sins. The atonement, yes, is by Christ on the cross. And to His great work, you can't add one whit. Yes, you you should live in His light and love. And and yes, you should rejoice in being His child. And and yes, you should seek to to reflect that love and glory back to Him in obedience each and every day. But not one wit can you add. Not one credit can you claim for yourself at the end of the movie. You, you are but someone who is an object of God's mercy, not the attainer of that mercy yourself. Display fruit. Live your life so that others look to Him and not yourself. Start with that broken and contrite heart each day. As you look away from yourself to Him that you might be saved. And then that gift of the Holy Spirit who is not taken from us as God fulfills David's prayer and the prayer of Jesus Christ from verse 11. 
Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Can you hear those words ringing? Do you, do you hear and feel what is at stake? Not just some abstract idea of the forgiveness of sins, but the very personal presence of, of the Holy Spirit in giving fruit and love and joy and peace and patience and kindness in your life. What's hanging in the balance in verse 11 is whether there will be gifts for the life of the church, spiritual gifts that we might grow in grace and live forever in the new heavens and new earth. When our Lord comes again, so much hangs. The Holy Spirit can change everything by His work. All that we need for Christian living. And it comes from God in response to David's song. The same song which His greater Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, also sang. He who identified with us in our weakness. He who took on our sin on the cross of Calvary. He sang these words. He prayed for you that God would not take His Holy Spirit from you, but rather fill you to overflowing. In all of it. Is only possible because of the birth of His greater Son at Bethlehem and His suffering at Calvary. Oh, His coming into the world was the hope of David, the hope of salvation, the hope of forgiveness, and your hope as well. Trust in Him. And you will be saved. Let us pray. Oh, our Father and our God, we do ask that as our hearts weep as we sing and read David's psalm, that our hearts might also rejoice as we look to the fulfillment and answer of this prayer in Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank You for the salvation which He brings. Thank You for the hope and life that He gives. Sustain us with Him that we might live to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.